Luke chapter 11 in your Bibles today, Luke chapter 11. Let me ask you this question. Have you ever wondered why Jesus performed so many miracles? In ancient civilizations, whenever you made a statement about God, whenever you were a religious teacher, one of the, way, one of the expectations that people had is that you would back up what you were saying about God with a sign. And these signs were seen by the people as verification of who you were. In uh, ancient civilizations, you often had seers or what the Bible refers to as prophets who would tell the future. Now, being a prophet was a dangerous occupation because whenever you foretell the future, eventually people find out whether or not you're a good prophet or not. And if you got it wrong, they would frequently torture you and kill you. Now, you have no worries that I will ever claim to uh, know the future or to write a book about when Christ will come back. I will never be a prophet because, like you, I have an aversion to torture and death. So, I'm not going to go down that road. But Jesus healed people. He walked on water. You know the miracles. He fed the 5,000. And all of these miracles were to shine light on who He is, who He is. He's the Son of God. They were to be signs that revealed to people that Jesus, the Son of God, the Messiah, was in their midst. Now, you would think that everybody would understand it, but in Luke chapter 11 and verse 15, some of them said, well, He drives out demons by Beelzebub, the ruler of demons, and others, as a test, were demanding a sign from him. The other day, my girls and I were getting on an airplane to go to Phoenix, Arizona. It was a nonstop flight, and so we had our boarding passes that said, we're in Dallas, we're headed to Phoenix, and we handed them to the officer there, and the officer looked at it and said, you guys going to Phoenix? I thought to myself, no, we're just going to jump out of the airplane in New Mexico and parachute down and see if we can find some aliens, you know. It's a nonstop flight. Sure, yeah, we're, we're going to Phoenix. Well, Jesus had been healing people and feeding 5,000 miraculously. Uh, all these signs were there, and yet the people were like, can you show us a sign? Can we really trust that you're from heaven? We, we need you to do something more. And so Jesus tells them, here's what's going to happen. You're going to torture and kill me. You're going to arrest me as a false prophet, and you're going to crucify me, but I'm going to give you the ultimate sign. I'm going to rise again. I'm going to come back from the dead. And here's the truth. I'm the light of the world. Yet there are some that no matter what I do, no matter what I say, will never believe. What an irony it is when the Son of God can be standing right in front of you teaching and revealing Himself and you miss it. Well, then Jesus continues with our focal passage today here in Luke chapter 11 and verse 33. Jesus says, No one lights a lamp and puts it in a cellar or under a basket, but on a lampstand, so that those who come in may see its light. Your eye is the lamp of the body. 
When your eye is good, your whole body is also full of light. But when it is bad, your body is also full of darkness. You ever gone camping in an area that didn't have electricity? I'm not talking about camping at the Holiday Inn, but at a place where you don't have electricity. Anybody ever been camping in that scene? Well, when you're without electricity, you learn very quickly the value of a flashlight. Because whenever it gets dark, it gets dark. Well, in Jesus' day, lamps were the flashlight of the day. So imagine a base of clay, and on that clay there was a little lamp, and within that lamp they would pour some oil and put a wick in it, and then they would be able to light it. And whenever it was lit, they could put it up on a lampstand, and it would provide light to fill an entire room. So Jesus essentially says, you know what, it makes no sense whatsoever to light a lamp and then leave it in the cellar, or to light a lamp and then hide it under a bushel. No, you need to let it shine, let it shine, let it shine, right? You want to sing it right now? So here's a simple question. Why? Do you let, I see that flashlight, why do you let the light shine? Well, there's two reasons why you let the light shine. Number one, so that you can see. Number two, so that others may see. Now, light is actually a major theme within the New Testament. The story of Jesus begins in John chapter 1. In John 1 and verse 1, the scriptures say, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. You see, Jesus didn't come into existence at Bethlehem. Jesus has always been. In the beginning was the Word. Jesus has always been with God the Father. And Jesus is not just a man, but Jesus is also God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God. In verse 4, it continues... Life was in him. We're talking about spiritual life. If you know someone named Zoe, that comes from a Greek word that refers to spiritual life. Life, Zoe, was in him. And that life was, here's our word, that life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness, yet the darkness did not overcome it. So in Jesus is life, and in Jesus is light, and that light is the, or that life is the light of men. That light is so brilliant that the darkness cannot contain it. Later on in Jesus' life, in chapter 8 of John, he said, I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. You catching the imagery? Jesus says, I'm the light. Whenever you follow me, you no longer walk in darkness, but now you have the light of life. It illuminates what it means to be alive. Now, this is a huge theme. You begin understanding Jesus as light and what all this means, and a lot of the Bible will make more sense to you. You see, without light... All we have is darkness. And so without the light of the world, 
we have a world that is totally saturated, totally encapsulated by darkness. You may have life, but you do not have family and the meaningful relationships of love. You will have suffering, but you will have no hope that goes beyond your suffering. Without light, you have defeat, but you never taste victory. Without light, you have Brussels sprouts, but you don't have Whataburger. All you have is wretched darkness all around you. But Jesus says, I am the light of the world, and that light shined into the darkness. Now, pre-Jesus, in the Old Testament, we had the law of God. And the law of God revealed to us God's holiness, who God is, His purity, what His character is all about, what His expectations are of you and me. It revealed to us the holiness, yet it also revealed to us our shortcoming, our sin, because none of us are capable of living up to the glory of God. And so we began to see on the pages of the Old Testament the extent of the darkness. By nature, we are not good people who occasionally listen to the wrong angel on our shoulder and do some things that are wrong. Instead, the Scriptures teach us that by nature, we are sinful people. Now, sinful people may occasionally do good things, but whenever you do those good things, you're still motivated by a selfishness or a pride. In other words, you do good things because in some way they make you feel good or in some way they are in your best interest. So whenever we arrive at the story of Jesus, we see a story of light shining into the darkness. And that light changes everything. Because of the light, you can now know truth. Because of the light, you now have understanding. Because the light reveals to us what life is all about. Because of the light, you now can understand who you are, why God created you, why God gifted you the way that He did, why you're here. And because of the light, you understand where you're going in life and you have a hope that goes beyond your own lifetime. Jesus and His truth are the lamp for your soul. Then Jesus says, you're to light that lamp and put it on the lampstand. Now He continues in verse 34. Your eye is the lamp of the body. When your eye is good, your whole body is full of light. But when it is bad, your body is also full of darkness. Now Jesus is talking spiritually here. And spiritually, He is talking about good eyes and bad eyes. Functioning eyes and non-functioning eyes. And so He uses the eye as an illustration. How many of you are blessed with 2020 vision. Okay, how many of you are thankful for glasses that give you, okay, quite, quite, quite a few of you. You should have seen the 830 service. I think everybody was thankful for glasses in the 830 service. <clears throat> Whenever you have good eyes, good eyesight, you're able to take in light and your body's able to process that light 
so that you can see. Now, there are some who, unfortunately, are, are unable to see. They are totally blind. And no matter how clear the light, no matter how much light there is, they simply cannot see. Now, there's also another way for us to be blind, and that is for us to be in a situation where there is an absence of light, to find yourself in a room or a place where there is total darkness, or to refuse to go to a place where there is light. So Jesus says, whether you, there are people that have good eyes and there are people that have bad eyes, some will hear my truth, some will see my signs, and they will see that I am the Son of God. Yet there are others that no matter what I do, no matter what I say, they will never be able to see the light because spiritually their eyes are blinded. They don't work. They don't function. Now, just a side note here. You need to realize that you can love God with all your heart. You can do the right thing. You can heal the blind and walk on water. And there will still be some people in the world that want to crucify you. Well, he continues in verse 35. He says, Take care then that the light in you is not darkness. You see, when you refuse to look into the light of Jesus, spiritually, you can't see. And so the light within you is darkness. Whenever the light within you is darkness... You don't have the light of life. And so when there's no light of life, it's difficult to understand life. Life doesn't really have much meaning. Now, some atheists would say, you need to forget about life's meaning whatsoever. Just live life for today. Yet there's something within us that strives to know why I'm here. What the meaning of it all is. When the light's within you, not within you, it's difficult to know the meaning of family. What is marriage? Why why is it so important for uh, a husband and wife to love one another and to love God? Why is family such an important part of society? Why is it so important for children to grow up in loving families? Why is love so meaningful? Uh, Why why does this matter so much? Why why is intimacy something that, that is so significant? When the light is not within you, It's difficult to understand the meaning of family and love, relationships, and intimacy. But when the light is within you, you begin to see them for what they were created to be. Let's just think about intimacy for a second here. You know, there's only one natural act that is capable of producing human life. Doesn't it make sense that that incredibly powerful bonding act has a divine meaning behind it. A meaning that comes from your Creator. That our Creator gave us the gift of intimacy to reveal to us, illustrate for us, what marriage is to be all about. 
A man and a woman coming together in a lifetime committed relationship. And through that relationship, children are birthed and then children are nurtured in family. And they learn what it means to grow up with a mom and dad that love God and love one another. And also teach them to love others as well. You see, when the light is within you, that makes sense. But when the light's not within you, it just means whatever you want it to mean. When the light is within you, even suffering has meaning because suffering is leading to character. It's leading to endurance, and endurance is leading to character. And all of this is revealing the glory of God as He works within you. When the light is within you, you have something called faith and hope. Yet there are many that live with no life, no light. Now, they're still alive. And so you try to make sense of life. But rather than the truth of God, what you do is you look to the light that is within you. Now, look at Jesus' words in verse 35. Take care then that the light in you is not darkness. Now, here's one of the biggest lies of our culture. Our culture will tell you through music, through books, through shows, that the secret to happiness is within you. You just need to follow the light that is within you, and all will be well. Just follow your light, and you will be free. It's simply not true. Following the light within you, being a truth for yourself, establishing meaning from within my soul, inevitably leads you to adorn your life with selfishness and pride. Those are the very things that lead you away from the truth and grace of God. So Jesus teaches us it's not about following the light within you to find the meaning of life. Instead, look into my light. Look into my truth. And let me illuminate you From the inside out. Take care that the light within you is not darkness. And then Jesus ends with the light bulb moment. If therefore your whole body is full of life, with light with no part in darkness, it will be entirely illuminated as when a lamp shines its light on you. Here's the light bulb moment. That whenever you look into the light of Jesus, He shines His light within you so that you too become a light. And there is a transition point that happens in our walk with God where we move from being a receiver to a giver. And when that light bulb moment occurs in your life, when you drive into your neighborhood, you see the community differently. Because you want to be light in the darkness. When that light bulb moment comes on in your life, Christianity becomes redefined. Instead of, it's Sunday, I guess we better go get up and go to church. I heard there's a saxophonist and a vocalist there. Maybe there'll be something to catch today. Instead of that being your motivation, whenever the light comes on, Christianity is just who you are. 
whenever the light comes on, whenever we gather for worship, instead of saying, I hope I drink enough coffee to stay awake today, whenever we open the Word of God, you hunger and thirst for righteousness, and the Word of God lands in your heart, and your life becomes a light shining into the darkness. Now, there's an area of our church that I think we can do better. I think as a church, we could do better at personally sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with people in our lives. I know I personally can do better in that way. And so let me ask you this question. Who's in your life that you're trying to help see Jesus right now? In fact, as I ask you that question, the Lord may have begun to press somebody upon your heart. Who is it in your life that you can share Jesus with right now? Now, it may be that the person you're thinking about is a long way from God. You think to yourself, well, good luck there. I don't know if they'll ever come to know Christ. Remember this, that there are some people who just refuse to look in the light. And it doesn't matter how bright your light is, they just won't see. I think sometimes we as Christians need to argue less and pray more. Specifically, we need to pray that God will soften people's hearts and open their eyes to the light of the gospel. When you're trying to share Christ with someone that's hard-hearted and someone that refuses to look at the light, don't ever give up. Because you never know what God will do in their heart. In our own family, my, my wife's grandfather, Jack, he's gone now, but he was a World War II veteran. He came back home from World War II and he was hard. Didn't really know how to deal with everything that he faced and so he turned to alcohol and spent most of his life as an alcoholic. It's very, very hard to be around him. But his wife prayed for him every single day. For 50 years she prayed for him and he refused to look at the light. But she kept praying and she kept loving him. Just a few months before he died, the light came on. His heart softened, his eyes opened, and I praise God that he became a believer in Jesus Christ. But there were faithful people who for five decades prayed for him that God would open his eyes to the gospel. Now, it may be in your life that God has put you in a position where you can help a child come to know Christ as Lord and Savior. Your son, your daughter, a grandchild. Praise God, 14 kids came to know the Lord at Vacation Bible School. Praise God for that. There is nothing like being there whenever a child believes. And I know sometimes as parents, and I'm in this stage in my own life, it can make you a little nervous. So just let me give you a little bit of practical advice if this is where you are. There is an age of innocence for children. My son Camden, who is... One, he's not yet ready to receive Christ as Lord and Savior and be baptized. He's just trying to talk, you know? So during that stage, we try to teach them of God's love. We try to teach them the story of the gospel. Whenever you put your children in child care here at the church, we don't just babysit. We try to expose them to the gospel of Jesus Christ and the love of Christ so that we begin teaching them of God's love. And as they grow, they'll reach a point where you see the light of the gospel beginning to come on within them. Now, when they reach that point, 
Don't rush them. Let them ask their questions. Have conversation. But also, don't thwart them. Okay? Work with them. Don't rush them, but also don't thwart them. And there will be this moment when they begin to understand their own personal need for the gospel. There will be this moment where they begin to realize that it is their own sins that led Jesus to the cross. And whenever you see that happening within your children's lives, go with it. That's whenever you lead them to that point of salvation. I love it whenever moms and dads are able to uh, work with their children to that point. Some of you moms and dads are saying, nope, I'm going to go to Tiny on that one. Okay, that's fine. Tiny's here. I'm here. We would love to talk with your children as they come to that point of salvation. It may be that you're trying to help someone to Christ. And in their life, you can see the light is coming on, but they're not quite there yet. And so they have questions. Say, Lash, what should I do? Well, you answer the questions to the best of your ability. And realize this, it's okay to say, I don't know. It's okay to say, let me, let me research that a little bit. Help them with their questions. Uh, there's a lot of great resources that, that are out there. Brian, Brian over here works with Josh McDowell Ministries, and he can connect you to a lot of those, those resources that are out there. And one of the things you can do is you can share your own testimony. It's hard for people to argue with your experience. This is who I was before Christ. I'm a believer in Christ. This is how He's changed my life. Just simply share your testimony. But then there's something that we, for whatever reason, over the last 20 years in church, have started doing less, that we need to do more. After sharing the gospel, invite someone to believe. Simply extend that invitation and say, would you like to believe in Christ? Now today, I realize that most of you in this room are believers in Christ. And so my prayer for you today is that God will use you to be a light in somebody else's life. And that throughout this week and in the weeks to come, that you will have gospel conversations with people where you're able to share the gospel and invite them to believe. And yet in this room, there's also probably some who are not believers. There's never been that time where you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ and trusted in Him as your Lord and Savior. But you feel God crawling up in your seat. And you know that this is your moment. The Holy Spirit has spoken to your heart. And today is your moment to believe. And so I invite you to believe in Christ. Would you be so kind as to bow your heads as we come to a time of commitment? Our head bowed, our eyes closed. If you're a believer, I would encourage you right now to begin praying for those individuals in your life that you can share the gospel with. If this is your moment, your moment of salvation right where you are, I just invite you to call out to God. You can use your own words, but you may say something like this, Heavenly Father, I'm a sinner. I've done things that are wrong. And I need your forgiveness. 
Lord, I am tired of playing God, and today I am trusting in Jesus Christ as my Savior and my Lord. I am looking into the light and asking you to change me from the inside out. I ask, Lord, that you will give me the gift of your Holy Spirit so that I might follow you. I pray, Father, for your salvation within me. Pray that prayer in the name of Jesus Christ. I'm not going to call you out. I'm not going to embarrass you. But if this is your moment, I would love to know. And so I'm just going to ask you if today was your moment of salvation, would you just look up at me and allow me to make eye contact with you? This was my moment of salvation today, Pastor. Today I prayed to receive Christ. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this church. Pray that we might follow you in all of our ways. And I pray that you might use us to be a light that shines in the darkness. It's in your name we pray. Amen.